This is Anne Fremantle, introducing another of WNYC's PEN, P-E-N, portraits. What is PEN, P-E-N? PEN is an independent world association of writers. The initials, P-E-N, stand for poets, playwrights, essayists, editors, novelists, and by implication of the initials, for all writers. PEN was founded in 1921 in London by John Galsworthy, who became its first international president. American PEN was founded in 1922, with Booth Tarkington as its first president. The present president of International Pen is the old novelist, V.S. Pritchett. The present pre president of American Pen is the young novelist, Jerzy Kosinski. Pen has 80 centers in 60 countries of Europe, North and South America, Asia and Africa. World membership is around 10,000. American Pen, which has its headquarters in New York but draws its members from all over the United States, has 1,500 members. Membership is by invitation of the Membership Committee, extended to published writers of demonstrative accomplishment. What is PEN for and what does PEN do? PEN exists to promote worldwide friendship and intellectual cooperation among men and women of letters. PEN is a purely literary association working in a practical way on all matters of concern to writers generally, better protection of literary copyrights, better deals for translators, workshops for beginning writers in underprivileged areas, lectures and receptions for foreign authors coming here. Josie Kosinski, novelist and president of the American Center of Penn, has just announced that the center will present annually the Ernest Hemingway Foundation Award of $3,000 for the best first novel by an American published during the pre previous year. This new award is donated by the Ernest Hemingway Foundation established by PEN member Mary Hemingway in memory of her husband. Penn has no politics, but it is against the imprisonment of writers for political reasons, and Penn members in the Penn Charter pledge themselves, quote, to oppose any form of suppression of freedom of expression in the country and the community to which they belong. Penn is, therefore, against all censorship of the written word. Speaking today on WNYC under the auspices of PEN, PEN, in another of the series PEN portraits is Ted Morgan, who writes for the New York Times, and Peter Strafford, who is head of the London Times New York Bureau. Both are young men concerned with the problems of monstrous and murderous children, about which Ted Morgan wrote a long piece recently in the front of the New York Times magazine section. Both men have young children themselves and are deeply sympathetic to the problems. Ted Morgan went to Yale, where he graduated cum laude, and to the Columbia School of Journalism. He has published four books and is at work on a fifth. He won the Pulitzer Prize for Journalism when he was only 28. He recently reported on Cuba in another featured article in the New York Times magazine section. Peter Strafford went to Cambridge, then spent a year at Indiana University, and joined the Times Educational Supplement in London. He has been head of the Times Bureau, of the London Times Bureau, uh, in Paris, and then, then in Brussels, and now for three years in New York. So today, talking to you are Peter Strafford of the London Times and Ted Morgan of the New York Times, and they are going to discuss monstrous and murderous children. Uh, I once was teaching and said something about an ugly child, and my students said, there are no ugly children. 
And I was absolutely astonished because there's, there's such a mystique here about children that people don't believe you can have ugly children. I think they've learned this was some years ago. And I think you showed in your article, Ted uh, Morgan, that um, they're pretty murderous at the age of 14. Didn't you say they said, I can murder because I'm only 14? Well, I think that was used by a headline writer. Uh, actually, you are seeing uh, more and more juveniles, that is, children under the age of 16, who are committing violent crimes. Now, to call them monstrous, I think, is not the, perhaps the best way to, to, to deal with it, because you have two poles here. You have, on the one hand, uh, the, the law and order pole of people who are saying, uh, we can't leave these kids on the street we've got to think of the victims, we can't have them going around setting fire to people, 14-year-old uh, girls bludgeoning an old man to death, because since they are themselves <coughs> physically quite weak, their victims are usually the elderly or other children. And uh, so on that one poll you have people who want st uh, more stringent laws and who would like the juveniles to be treated more like adults since they are committing crimes which were previously thought adult of crime. to be adult yeah. crimes. And then on the other side you have people who say that this is a social problem and that you have to deal with it at the family level and at the neighborhood level and that these children are the product of what society makes them, uh, that they are not uh, evil or monstrous but that they are simply reflecting a society which is itself violent prone and corrupt so there you have perhaps the two the two poles peter strafford which side would you come down on or well i i think it's perhaps easier to start by d defining the problem ag again as, as as i see it it's a question of whether you protect um whether you're primarily concerned with protecting society or whether you're primarily primarily concerned with um doing something about these children who are presumably not happy in, in, in the state they're in. Um, and you would like to try and do something about this. Exactly. Well, the, the, uh, the, the real purpose of the, of the article that was in the Times is to show how the juvenile justice system has collapsed and that uh, the present way of dealing with these children simply doesn't work for a variety of reasons. For instance, uh, they're dealt with by a separate court, which is the family court. If you're under 16, you don't go through the regular criminal court. You go to a family court, which deals only with family problems. The judge in family court, if he has before him a 15-year-old, now the 15-year-old murderer can be sent to an adult prison, but it's the judge very seldom does it because they, the, the, the decision is usually reversed by the appellate division. So for all practical purposes, what he can do is send a child to a training school, which is a reform school, up to 18 months. Uh, and in that reforms, in that training school, he may or may not get the uh, psychiatric help he needs. He may or may not get some form of help, you see. So the, 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 the real problem is that there, there is a separate way of dealing with juveniles, on the, and, and, the, and the reason for that is that you don't assimilate the, the, the juvenile to the adult. You believe that the juvenile is, can be rehabilitated, can be helped. He's not hardened. He's not fixed in his ways. 
So is it, this, this is established, is it? That, well, um, this is the belief. This is the yes. assumption. You see, this is this is the reason why you don't take a fourteen-year-old, uh, uh, say, a fourteen-year-old who's uh, like I went up to one of the, to the maximum security training school, and there was a fourteen-year-old uh, Puerto Rican youth who had stabbed, who had shot and killed a member of a rival gang. Now. Uh, he was sent to this maximum security training school. He could only be kept there up to 18 months. And, and, and they have a level system where he had done so well that at the end of six months he was going to be sent home again. And I was with the warden, and the, and the warden said to him, uh, well, are you, going to st are you going to go back to your old neighborhood and join the gang again? And the kid said, oh, no, I'm, I'm not fooling around with that anymore, you know. Oh, he really had learned something. Yeah, but you didn't know if it was, it was true, true or not. Exactly, yeah. But this, I suppose, could, can be true of an adult, too. An adult could have a, have a severe lesson he could... Oh, sure. from, ...from being in prison and could decide, I'm having no more of that. Yeah. Seems yes. to me that perhaps one... It might be interesting to examine how far children's attitudes or, or yeah. juveniles' attitudes are, are really different yeah. from those of adults. Because the whole system is, is based on the premise that there is something different. Well, the premise of, of um, uh, one branch of the Christian church is that a child is adult at the age of seven, uh, completely. And, I mean, that he's responsible for his actions uh, and able to know the difference between right and wrong. And I believe that the, you, you made that point also about the difference between right well, and wrong, didn't you, in your article? See, there's another problem, is that the child is not uh, getting a jury trial. If he commits a, uh, a felony, he would, he would if, he, if he were being dealt with as an adult, he would be entitled to be judged by his peers, jury of his peers. But if he's a juvenile, he's dealt with by, by the family court judge. So that you can say that in one sense, he's being deprived of his rights in the sense that he's not being given what the adult would be entitled to. Do you think a jury to. of children would, would really do any good? Uh, well, you <laughs> I wasn't thinking of a jury of children. Uh, that's a point. That's an interesting point. Well, I'm sure that children do have a, a moral sense, which is presumably what is the basis from which one has to start. A moral sense is an appreciation of moral rules or legal rules on which society is, is based. Um, children know when they're doing something that they shouldn't do from quite an early, early age. Well, they the know question is whether this transgression of a, of a well, moral or legal yeah. rule is somehow something different, less, um, more, more venal. Well, that's, that's an interesting point, because um, a lot of the kids that are coming into the system uh, who are charged with serious crimes are, are um, examined by psychiatrists who uh, find uh, this is a recurring... A recurring a phrase that you see in these psychiatric reports, and I saw quite a few of them, has no notion of uh, right and wrong, has no notion of um, that what he is doing is wrong. And but now, mightn't this might apply to an adult too? Yeah, but see... You, you can have adults who, but who would have the same lack of appreciation. Sure, but if you take a 12-year-old kid uh, who has uh, no notion that stabbing somebody or stealing something is wrong then you can you can say that child is, needs medical attention he is there's uh, he is disturbed 
then you, again you go back, what has made him disturbed? Then you find that very often there's a certain pattern. He, uh, he comes from a, a bad family situation where uh, either perhaps his parent, is, his father is abusive or his mother is uh, completely, has five or six children and can't handle them and uh, uh, they're living in a ghetto and uh, the, the social conditions are abominable, you know. Well, it seems to be clear that an awful lot of this trouble does come from wretched family backgrounds. Yeah. And the real issue is whether a child of, say, 12, 13, um, who comes from a, a, a background of this sort and has been exposed to this sort of thing for 12 or 13 years, whether he, can be, whether he should be treated as still reformable. Yeah, well, that's the point, you see. Or whether yeah. you know, society gets to the point where it decides it simply has to protect itself. That's, that's the interesting against, thing. Against the, uh, some yeah. they, people they, like this. They come into the system usually around 14, 15, when they're really starting to do uh, serious, serious uh, yeah. offenses. But where have they been up to 14 or 15? They, you know, this just didn't happen overnight. And the, the, well, this case that I followed, the, the boy was uh, four, 14, and they kidnapped two 10-year-olds. And when you looked at the psychiatric history of that boy, at the age of nine, he had killed his mother's pet cat. At the age of, at the age of seven, he was setting fires. Uh, he had a, a long history of disturbance, but it had never come to anyone's attention. And, and that's where uh, the, the system breaks down, because they only get into the system at a point where it's all, you can almost say, as you said, it's already too late. But don't you think cruelty is something very special? It seems to me that lots of children would set fires, I mean, or buy firecrackers illegally, uh, which is a great thing that in New York City, in the children's schools, they're always trying to get firecrackers. Um, Not only there, perhaps. <laughs> but um, cruelty, like killing a pet cat or t pulling the wings off uh, insects, has always been a sign of something, uh, I would say, something specially wrong with someone, hasn't it? Yes, I think it is. I mean, this 14-year-old uh, was uh, described by the psychiatric, uh, in the psychiatric report as a, uh, you know, it's a lot, they use a lot of jargon, which to me is, pretty meaningless and, but they have to do they have to make these reports quite fast so they call them a paranoid schizophrenic you know, <laughs> and uh, a lot of other terminology like that and uh, but it shows a, a very deep-rooted uh, disturbance that should have been dealt with at an, at an earlier age and uh, then you get the situation where the, the child can't improve in, in his family environment because the family has what the psychiatric report calls a hysterical structure and so you have to remove him from his family. Well, now, having uh, looked at this nasty problem, what would you do, Peter? Well, I must say, I'm very, um, um, I'm in a state of certain despair about, about this, because it seems to me that when you get to this stage, there's very little you can do, I would have thought, about a child like that. They had quite a lot of this kind of behavior in England some time ago. They had the bunches of kids, and they were sort of roaming the streets, and. Um, I was in London, I forget, about six, seven years ago, and there were these kids on motor, you know, on 14-year-olds on motorbikes, slashing at people and doing things. And yes, um, there's an element of group, uh, a group approach to group things approach, that you, you get there. Uh, I'm not sure that. that's necessarily quite the same as, as this individual. It um, seems to me less toxic somehow. Yes, 
Don't you think to go with a group and do something bad? I think they both derive from a certain breakdown, perhaps in in family, in the structure of the family, which is related to the breakdown of of a lot of rules that society as a whole has has lived by. But don't you think, the, in in a way, the rules themselves make the rebels? Well, the the the, the uh, studies that have been done in, on New York City show one. Uh, almost universal trait uh, uh, among all these children, and that is that they're t truants from school. Now, when you are a truant from school, it means two things. It means, A, that you are not learning anything, and B, that you have all day to get into trouble. And uh, this, uh, the, a very interesting study was done on eight children who were all under 50, 15 or under who had, who, were all who had all committed homicides, but, I mean, really ghastly homicides like setting fire to someone uh. and bludgeoning an elderly man to death and things like that, stabbing him through the sheets in his bed for no reason, you know, it wasn't even a question. They, 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 it, that's the strange thing. They, 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 in, this one, in one case they had robbed this man and then on their way out of, the, out of his apartment they just stabbed him to death. He was sleeping. He hadn't even heard them robbing him. And the, the one thing that they found was uh, they were school truants with what they called dull normal IQs. And uh, I think that's one way of, it, of approaching the problem, is to try to uh, uh, keep after, keep children in school, you know, try to remedy this truancy problem. It's at the school level that, uh, that, 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 that all these signs begin to appear before it goes into the, into the courts. And into yes, the I, I think it's, it's clear that, they, that children of this, or juveniles of this sort, can't be left to lead a completely free life. You, you, you can't just lock them up in prison and leave them there for 40 years. No, no, that's, um, that's, that's awful. But that's equally, awful it seems unsatis quite unsatisfactory to leave them free to, to go on the streets and, and do these things. What you have to have is some form of, of structured supervision. Uh, that's exactly what uh, what's which um, is lacking. Is well, what's lacking is that, as a family court judge said to me, time and time again, he gets a recommendation from the probation department: st uh, needs structured environment with psychiatric uh, care. Now, there is no such place where uh, you have structured environment with psychiatric care. And this training school that I visited, which is the maximum security training school for New York State, where all the worst cases go is a place where they have a psychiatrist coming coming in three times a week for an, for one or two hours and yet most 90% of the boys there are disturbed and when they when they act out and they start tearing the place apart uh, or one boy the, while, while I was there had committed four suicide attempts in uh, a week they sent him to the, metal, the nearest metal state hospital, which is Rockland State. Rockland State sent him back, saying that his, uh, his, uh, his, his uh, psychosis was dormant. <laughs> and so they're in an impossible situation. And you, you, the, what this state needs, what the city needs, is a, is a place where there is the structured environment with, with constant psychiatric attention and help, and then you could get somewhere maybe with some of these children. Could there be some kind of an international, uh, I mean, like UNESCO is, is for, for, for school, for, you know, for working in school, at the, at the UN level, couldn't there be something for 
um, disturbed children. I mean, UNICEF is there to get money for feed children, and we have all these organizations for trying to to help their physical needs. Couldn't there be something international so that, for instance, uh, someone like Piaget, who's written marvelously about uh, children, could be used, I mean, and the Swiss systems, which I gather are very good about handling children, could be children could be sent from one country to another if necessary, if, if it would help. I well, don't know, I'm just wondering. If, I think the thing about UN arrangements is that they're essentially a method of, of pooling information and you can have a certain amount of pooling of information between countries which are particularly concerned and countries which have some ex some solution to offer. But you, you, I don't think you could impose a UN system on a whole series of, of, of different countries. And there might be something to be said for uh, more exchange of information, but presumably a certain amount of exchange of information goes on anyway. And this is a problem that's, that other countries just don't have because this is uh, the problem that New York has. You have to remember that uh, these children are 90% black and Puerto Rican, they're ghetto children. They're uh, from poor families. They're a lot of welfare children. And you can almost uh, pick them out statistically ahead of time. You know that in a certain family there's going to be one or two children that are going to wind up in family court charged with serious offenses. Now that doesn't happen in Switzerland. <laughs> And uh, you have to deal with this thing locally. And, you know, people are dealing with it. There's millions of dollars being spent, but I don't think it's being spent in the right way because... Uh, millions of dollars on prisons? I'm on, no, no, on millions of dollars on, on um, being given out to private agencies to deal with troubled children. But since the private agencies can choose the cases they want to take, they don't take these, the ones that we're talking about, which are the violent ones, because the violent ones upset the program. These agencies, to get funded, they have 80-90% public money. They have to show a rate of success. They have to turn out, they have to be like Father Flanagan, you know? But if they take one of these kids with a, who's killed somebody, he's, he's, he's going to, 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 to lower their rate of success. So they, don't, they leave him to the, uh, state, to to the state training schools, which have to take, which, which, which don't have the, the ability to choose between the ones they want and the ones they don't want. Are they short of money, the, the state ones? No, the state ones aren't. Well, they'd say, of course, they would say they're, they're short of money, and they are short of money in the sense that they often, uh, since they have to take everybody, they often can't keep a, a, a child as long as he should stay because he has to be moved on to allow new ones to come in. It's uh, sort of the, the one nail pushing out the other, you know. And uh, so, of course, I suppose they, could, they would say they're short of money, and they're certainly short of the kind of facility that I was talking about, where you have full-time psychiatric help and you have, you have a certain amount of, uh, of structure. About here, how many children a year go through these courts in New York? Well, they're, they're, uh, the statistics are kept uh, secret. Uh, family court proceedings are closed. Uh, because, again, the juvenile is supposed to have the chance uh, to uh, start out with a clean record, you see, when he, when he becomes 18. He's not supposed to have the burden of what he's done. Oh, so he's, he might have committed three murders and, and at 18 he might have committed remember. He might have committed three murders and never been fingerprinted and photographed. Did you know that? No, no, I, I'm 
That and that's one of the things the yeah. police is upset about because the police say we get these kids when they're when they're no longer juveniles coming back into the adult system and we don't have any information on them and we don't have any any um, we don't have their their photograph their fingerprints or what they've done before. <coughs> but surely to start with, you need more uh, perhaps more money and more resources being given to these state um, institutions which are required mm. to take the children who need the help. Absolutely. I mean, is there not the the public pressure for, for that sort of effort? Well, there is. There are, so there are certain agencies that are getting uh, more and more concerned about this. I was really amazed by the response that I got to that article. I had a Congressman, is a congress, congressman from Washington called me, and people, they, they got hundreds of letters at the New York Times, people asking to help, wanting to know how what they could do, because this is something that touches everyone who is a young child, you see. But that's just why I think we and were even discussing though, it. Even though if you're middle class and white, uh, your, your child is likely to be the victim. So, so. But still, the victim, it seems to me, whether it's the, the victim or the, or the vandal, um, in any case, the child suffers. And that's what one should be concerned about. And um, but you 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 are fairly hopeful that people are at least doing something about. I it. think there's a great deal of consciousness about the problem. Now it may go in the in the, there may be legislation that will take away f from the ch from the child the benefits that he's had. For instance, to make the ch uh, to lower the age uh, l limit for when you're still a juvenile from 16 to 14, so that anyone over 14 would be automatically referred to the adult criminal system. That's one possibility. Would you advise that? I'm not sure I do. I, uh, I haven't uh, committed, I haven't come to any conclusion about that. Or We're to have more serious penalties. We are coming to the conclusion of this talk. And I wondered, Peter, if you have any feeling at, at, as, as a result of hearing <laughs> these rather grim uh, things. Well, it's do you report these uh, stories in the London Times? Uh, yes. I mean, in the, in, as a general account of what's going on. Yes. I mean, it is of interest to people elsewhere. Of course elsewhere. it is, yes, obviously. Um, my, my feeling but would be that um, it doesn't really help to introduce these juveniles to the adult system too early, to involve them in, in adult prisons and, and that sort of thing. Mm. But the, the, the emphasis should be on this, this uh, structured environment that you were talking about. Mm. So you both think structured environment is, is the best possibility? Help. Well, and also to help to help uh, the, to give them some kind of psych psychiatric help because there's so many of these kids are really disturbed. I mean, you just see them coming into family court, and you know in five minutes that the, that, the, that there's something seriously wrong with that child. Yeah. Well, I'm very grateful to you both for having been on this Pen Portraits program on WNYC. Thank you very much, Ted Morgan of the New York Times, and thank you very much, Peter Stravert, who is head of the London Times Bureau here.